1: Up, what's up what's up what's my take radio episode 42 for Thursday May 13th 2010 uh, tonight's music was street fighter 2 frets of fury the artist was vertex guy the site to get that as well as any other tracks that we that we've used in previous episodes is ocremix.org that's the letter o the letter c remix.org the call in number is 347-324-3541 and with that let's get into some housekeeping Uh, First off, a couple of new posts got put up on the site this week. Uh, The Super 8 trailer is up. There's a trailer for True Blood Season 3. Bulletstorm also has a trailer put up. Uh, You can check out Slick's article on the new Wii, as well as some of the other articles that have been put up this week by myself and other members of the MTR staff. Of course, as always, you can check that out, as well as all the show news at mytakeradio.com. The forums are, as always... Pretty active, definitely a nice influx of new members. We're about uh, 30 members or so, 29 or 30 members in. Uh, Definitely the only way to grow that community is by the participation of the listeners, so definitely stop in, say hello, check it out, join in on the conversation, and help the forum grow and become better. Um, Facebook fan page, we're scratching the, the surface of getting 130 fans. Um, I really would like to have 150 fans by June. If you know any, anybody else that likes some of the stuff that's discussed here on My Take Radio, of course, uh, help spread the word, help put it out there. The only way that the show can grow is with you, the listeners, uh, spreading the message, so to speak. I mean, I, I can only do so much on Twitter, but definitely um, the combined efforts of everybody involved, listeners as well as MTR staff, have helped the show grow tremendously, and I appreciate that. Um, The ads, you guys know the deal, self-explanatory, and um, with that, here's a rundown of some of tonight's topics. We're going to talk about UFC 113, which was fantastic from start to finish. Of course, there was some controversy. We're going to talk about the Ultimate Fighter. We're also going to talk about some MMA news. Um, Anderson Silva's future is definitely going to be discussed. Um, We're going to discuss some of the upcoming fight cards. We're also going to talk... Very minimal about wrestling. Not too many things happened this week. Quite honestly, I only have two things of note to discuss, and I'll discuss a little bit of this week's Raw. Gaming news is mixed bag, not too heavy. Definitely going to be talking about upcoming Final Fantasy titles for the PlayStation. Also going to be talking about some losses posted by Nintendo, Sony, and Capcom as well. In addition, I also am going to give you a little bit of information for Gears of War 3. We're going to talk about the new MPD numbers that came out, a lot of surprising changes. Uh, In addition to that, we're also going to talk about Sony's losses, and in some movie news, we're going to talk about sequels, because there's a ton of them, some casting news, and a couple of unexpected things that I won't get into until I get to that segment. And with that, let's talk some MMA first. First off, this weekend, we had UFC 113. Uh, The main event was... Uh, Leoto Machida versus Shogun. It was their second fight for the Light Heavyweight Championship. In addition to that, also I'm going to talk about the Ultimate Fighter. But UFC 113 I want to get into first because I'm more than sure that a lot of people are going to have stuff to say about it. First off, like I said, the card was solid from start to finish. One of the things in particular that I liked was the fact that a lot of the fight picks I had, were pretty close, but there were a lot of surprising victories and a lot of great performances by all the fighters involved. Um, One of the opening fights was Alan Belcher. He was fighting Patrick Cote. I'm a big fan of Patrick Cote. He's a very humble dude. He presents himself well. Great fighter. Alan Belcher, dynamic, awesome striker. He comes in. He always gives 110%. His fights are exciting. Um, Round one, definitely Belcher doing most of the damage. Uh, Cote started showing a little bit of life in the later part of the round, but Belcher was more active and delivered more damage. Round two, it ended up being a pretty much almost a pile driver that Alan Belcher delivered to Patrick Cote. Um, some just call it a pancake slam. He ended up landing pretty much on his forehead and his face, at which point Alan Belcher took the back and locked in a rear naked choke for the victory. Um, Alan Belcher, of course, won by submission in round two there is debate that he did drop him on his head um one of the things that MMA does not allow is for um you know power bomb or power driver type maneuvers to the head you know where the head gets impacted first so if you look at the replay some people say he hit his head um he hit it forehead first some people say it's uh face first but in the end the in the overall though it was the submission that got the victory and not so much the slam. He did not get dropped on the top of his head. So I definitely want to say that. Um, Matt Mitrione and Kimbo Slice, really disappointed. I'm a huge fan of Kimbo. Um, I wasn't disappointed in Kimbo, so to speak, because you, you knew Mitrione was putting in a lot of work, but it was definitely a total one-sided victory. Mitrione went in there and just picked Kimbo apart. Um, Kimbo definitely, you can see he had no submission defense. Um, he actually got caught in a triangle, in a triangle choke on a, mul- on, on a multitude of occasions during the fight. One of the cool spots was where he was in a triangle and he did go for a rampage style power bomb slam on Mitrione, which is just a testament to Slice's strength. But strength doesn't win fights. It's a combination of you know hands and feet as well as submission skills that win the fight. Uh, Kimbo really looked uncomfortable on the ground. He did not have any idea what to do when Mitrione took top mount position and Mitrione just rained down punches and won by TKO in round two. Unfortunately, with that loss um, after the fight, it turns out that Dana White did cut Kimbo's slice from the UFC. I was particularly disheartened for two reasons. One, that I really think he shouldn't have been cut after his first loss. I mean, he had a good performance against Houston Alexander. He's a marketable name. Personally, I would have put him in the undercard for a card or two, Um, definitely non-televised, maybe even Ultimate Fight Night if you want to get some casual fans in. But I wouldn't have cut him right away. I don't know if the UFC um, had that intention all along at the first sign that he loses to cut him. It is unfortunate, but Dana White was very gracious about it. He did say that, You know, if Kimbo did a couple of smaller shows and improved on his conditioning and his uh, submission defense, that, you know, the door is always open for him to come back. Dana White was very uh, – he really had a a bum tone about it based on what I saw in in the video blogs and some of the videos that were taken post-fight. It's really unfortunate that he did get cut loose again. I just feel he didn't get a fair shake. I think he should have had one more fight. Had he lost a second fight, I would have cut him then. But who knows? He, um, there are rumors going around that Kimbo's going to go possibly to strike force and there's a rumored match between him and Herschel Walker, which is uh, definitely interesting. But, again, um, not the ideal opponent for Kimbo's life. Uh, Herschel Walker is um, definitely a bit more skilled in terms of martial arts discipline. Uh, he's not a brawler. I mean, he he is going to brawl with Kimbo, but I I have a feeling Herschel Walker is picking up mixed martial arts a lot faster than Kimbo slices. Uh, Personally, I think Kimbo should definitely be fighting at 205, um, fighting at heavyweight. While definitely, you know, he might feel comfortable because it's less of a weight cut, I think he just would move a lot better at 205. His conditioning is definitely key, and I really hope he gets another shot in the UFCs. He still got. Um, he can still put asses in seats and bring money in, so definitely I was bummed about that. uh, Mitrion, uh is a big goof. He's a very lovable and very big goof. The fact of the matter is, um, he's, uh, put it like this, he's, he, he did good, but he's such a, like, just a big dope. He, has a, he had a smile on his face the whole time. He won the fight. It's like, oh, I won, yay. He was like, like, really, I don't know, he was disturbingly happy, which is weird considering that, you know, he, he's, a, he's a big goober. Nonetheless, I mean, he did good. Um, definitely uh, a good performance by him. I actually want to see him fight again in the future, so a uh, solid performance by Mitrione and uh, a bad night for Kimbo Slice. The lightweight fight between Jeremy Stevens and, and Sam Stout was fantastic from start to finish. Uh, Stevens was coming off a TKO victory over Justin Buckholtz. From UFC Fight Night 19, and Stout was coming off a unanimous victory over Joe Lauzon at UFC 108. These guys traded for three rounds. It was ridiculous. Stevens just, just a varied offense, just coming in there and putting in work. I actually had Stout taking it in my pick, just because uh, Stout is a more. Uh, I've seen Stevens fight maybe twice, maybe yeah, probably twice. And I just have seen Stout fight more, and he actually, I was a fan of his. I liked the way he carried himself leading up to the fight, and he had a good performance, but Jeremy Stevens was ridiculous, and he did an awesome job. It was a great fight, and it actually took Fight of the Night honors uh, with a fight bonus, which I will discuss later on. Uh, Tom Lawler and Joe Dirksen was a, a non-televised fight that they ended up playing later on in the broadcast. I was really bummed Tom Lawler was... Dressed like Dan Severn at the Wayans. He even had the mustache and the hair dyed like Dan Severn. But Joe Dirksen came in, did his job, ended up winning by rear naked choke in round two. Now let's talk a little controversy. Paul Daly and Josh Koscheck. Leading up to this fight, there was a lot of shit talking. Uh, Paul Daly called Josh Koscheck a pussy, vice versa. You know, I'm going to fucking kill you. You're going to end up face down, ass up. Just just lots of shit talking, which made me excited for the fight. Paul Daly's an exciting fighter, knockout capability, um, Josh Koscheck, superior wrestling, KO ability as well, solid round, and what ended up happening was Koscheck talked a lot of shit about wanting to stand with Daly, and it turned out that, you know, it was all bullshit, and he ended up using his wrestling and just pretty much smothering Daly for three rounds. Now, the crazy thing is that he used the lay and pray tactic, and he used a little bit of the John Fitch style, which is just grinding it out and you know doing damage and maintaining top position. By round three, you can tell that Daly was frustrated, and at one point, um, Koscheck was on top of Daly, and he was actually talking shit to him in the guard, which is ridiculous. Uh, the crowd definitely very anti-Koscheck. You had "fuck you, Koscheck" chants. It, it was ridiculous. At the end, though, Kosciuk ended up winning the fight by unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Uh, Kosciuk, of course, proceeded to shit on the the Canadians by saying that the Pittsburgh Penguins were going to beat them. And in the midst of right before that happening, he was uh, walking around the octagon celebrating. Paul Daly taps him on the shoulder. Here I'm thinking he's going to say good fight, man, or or whatever, and shit like that. As it turns out, Uh, Paul Daly punched Josh Koscheck in the face. After the fight was over, uh, the ref, uh, Dan Mergliata, got in the way. You could clearly see him yelling at Daly, like, hey, what are you doing? And um, definitely a bad move by Daly. I can understand his frustration, but you have to take into consideration that you had 15 minutes to punch the guy in the face, and uh, you didn't. The guy just proved to have superior wrestling, and it was unfortunate. If he would have waited it out and, you know, taken his loss a, a little bit better, I'm more than sure he would have got a rematch, and he probably would have avenged his loss. Koscheck ended up getting the coaching job for this, this next season of The Ultimate Fighter against GSP in addition to the number one contender spot by playing the ultimate heel. Josh Koscheck is the Ric Flair of MMA. Um, Daly was already annoyed because of the phantom knee. At one point during the fight, uh, Kostchek was on the ground, and Paul Daly was standing and need Kostchek allegedly in the face. Uh, Josh Kostchek insists that he did get need. Um, myself, Slick, and my fiancé all agreed that he did not get need in the face and that it was a crock of shit. As a matter of fact, Slick is on the line, so he may actually have something to share in regards to that. Slick, you're on the air.
2: What's up, man? What's going on? Yeah, the, the Kostek daily fight was, it, it wasn't one of the more entertaining fights of the night, but it was still a great fight because there was something on the line, you know, no titles exchanged, but, of course, the winner against the coach against GSP and the next Ultimate Fighter, which, I mean, with Kostek being the asshole he is and GSP basically being, like, the Captain America of the UFC it's going to be a wonderful thing. But, I mean daily i mean basically both of these guys were assholes in this fight i mean Koschek just because a win is a win and you know when you got something right down the line you got to make sure you win he won legally he just didn't win necessarily Decisely. honorably
1: laughing he didn't win honorably and he didn't win decisively it's not like he knocked them out or choked them out or you know, he, lay, he did lay and pray, and he smothered him for three rounds, which is fine. You know, it's a, he grinded out the win. What frustrates me is the fact that Paul Daly got cut by the UFC, and, you know, Dana White said in an interview, he, he even said it on ONA, that Paul Daly will never fight in the UFC again. Um, I definitely feel that, and Dana White explained it best. He said, look, the fight was over. Josh Kostrick could not defend himself, and Paul Daly sucker punched him. Which is true. I mean, the fight's over, and basically, you know, you had 15 minutes to punch him in the face, and you didn't. So there should be, you know, the guy won. You got to just suck it up and move on. But Koscheck after actually said post fight that you know he did talk some shit to Daly um, from the ground position, and that you know he didn't want Daly to get fired. So you know, Koscheck, you know, Koscheck is the ultimate heel, man. He's the ultimate opportunist. He's He's definitely got that Ric Flair vibe. You saw the replay. You know he did not get meat in the face.
2: Yeah, that was a lot of bullshit. But I, I also, I mean, I believe Kostick that he did not want Daly to get fired. He wanted to humiliate Daly, and he succeeded in that because, I mean, the the pre-fight interviews, I mean, Daly just went off on Kostick, and he couldn't make good on those words. So he wound up looking stupid twice, three times even after, after he hit him. But he said when, when he was walking up to him, he thought he was going to congratulate him. No, no, no. Uh, you saw the look on my face. When he started following him, I was like, this isn't going to end well.
1: Yeah, I, you, you I, are right. You did say that. I mean, you know, a lot of these guys, and this happens often. I mean, a good example of that is, is Ken Shamrock and Tito Ortiz. Those guys hate each other. <laughs> and when they fought, and Tito beat Ken Shamrock, they hugged afterward, and they're like, hey, man, you know, this is the fight game. It is what it is. And, you know, I'm more than sure they still hated each other, but you had the opportunity to settle that personal animosity. You know, you go in there and you punch each other in the face, and the winner moves on. You know, nothing nothing is more decisive than that, period.
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely you have a, a sport that is about, a display of your, your own personal skill and it, as in any sport, it's about sportsmanship and daily show the exact opposite. So, I mean, I'm with Dana White on, on that cut.
1: Well, while I have you on, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up by talking about the, uh, the light heavyweight fight between Shogun and Machida. Um, obviously, uh, Shogun won the fight by knockout in round one by dropping Machida cold. Now, of course, Last time the fight ended in controversy because of the judges, and, you know, Shogun was not trying to let it go to the judges. Um, you had a lot of issue with the strikes that Machida ate afterwards. You, it's a similar issue you had with the Frank Mir fight. And, um, you know, just, just share it with the, with the rest of the listeners. I, I, I mean, I agree with you, but some people might view it a little differently. I mean...
2: As much as I was happy, I mean, just going back to that for a second, Shane Carlin got his, I mean, sorry, Frank Mir got his ass beat by Shane Carlin. They let him hit him, like, in both cases. Dude got hit in his head, like, 11 times before the ref stopped it. I mean, there was no defense in either of those cases. Hands were just flat on the floor. There was nowhere near the face and like, you're like, the first thing the ref says is defend yourself at all times, and the whole rule of UFC is when somebody's getting knocked out on, a like, a, a ground and pound, it's like you, you stop the fight if the guy's not defending himself. The guy was That's never defending himself. What the fuck? you just letting them get fucking – letting the guy get freaking brain
1: damage. Well, you, you know, the problem is, and, and this is another thing, too, um, a lot of these refs are not – um, uh, constant, constantly used MMA refs, and there's certain guys that they get in there, you know, they, they can stop the fight a little quicker. It's also about cage positioning. And, you know, you've got a small guy like, like Eve Levine jumping in there. You know, he, he ain't stopping shit. He's a little guy. So, you know, I understand your frustration, and it is warranted, but until, you know, there's MMA-sanctioned refs that have experience in MMA, it's just going to take some time. For these guys to get used to it, you know, that guy probably thought he's like, oh, he's he's flailing around, he's flailing around because he, he's flopping around like a fish from being unconscious. Jesus, I mean, how long was
2: it that after the fight ended that Machini even got up? That is true. It's like it's like five minutes later, he was on the floor
1: after the interview. Yeah, it is a, it is unfortunate, dude, but. Like I said it's the, it's the nature of the beast unfortunately but I figured I'd have you share your thoughts on that just because I know that that was something that you had brought to my attention and I and I had to give you you know, had to give you your props for that.
2: All right man I'll talk to you on the game segment. All
1: right brother, thanks. All All right, later. later. All right, and with that we move into this week's ultimate fighter. Uh this week's ultimate fighter is and I, and I'm going to say this, this whole season thus far, I've enjoyed it, but not as much as other seasons. I mean, not to say that the guys aren't in there fighting, but it, it just seems that the fights are, I don't know, not as exciting, I guess. I mean, the, the fight this week was Joe Henley versus Seth Basinski from Team Ortiz. Seth, Seth Baczynski ended up winning by decision, and Dana White took the opportunity to announce the uh, wild card fight, which is uh, Casey Escola Fighting Chris McCray, those guys are getting the wild card spots. Uh, it seems that Rich Antonito is injured, and with that, Court McGee is going to take his place. So it's crazy because you got Nick Ring, Casey Uscola in the wild card, Chris McCray in the wild card, and Jamie Yeager, um, Kyle Noke on Team Liddell, uh, Josh Bryant, Brad Tavares, and Court McGee, who's replacing uh, Rich Antonito. The fact is that. We still don't know what happened to Tito that didn't allow him to fight uh, Chuck in, in this upcoming pay-per-view. Um, the fights have been great. It's just, I don't know, there's something missing. I don't know if it's just me g- used to the circus that the usual ultimate fighter is. The fact of the matter is um, it's something where people, they, they go in and they expect, I guess, they, they're so used to something every season but it's just it doesn't have that spark that, that every other season has, and again, it's it, it's not to say that I'm not enjoying it, but it's not as cool, you know. That's how I see it. But nonetheless, with that being said, let's get into the rest of the MMA news. Um, Dana White took the opportunity to discuss Anderson Silva recently, and he actually gave a couple of interesting points, which I, I'm actually I want to see them play out. He said that if Anderson Silva beats Chael Sonnen and Vitor Belfort, that he's going to have him try and move up to 205 and vacate the title because he's basically cleaned out the division. Uh, Dana White feels that Vitor Belfort is a worthy opponent, and it's a fight that people want to see. He feels that it's not about money anymore. It's about legacy, and if you cleaned out your division, you should move up to 205. It's ridiculous. You have to vacate the title and move up. In, In regards to that, I have to agree with Dana White. He basically has two guys left to fight, Chael Sonnen, and, and Vitor Belfort after that, there's nobody else. He's either beaten everybody else or nobody's in, in, that, in that league to challenge him. Edison Silva's a great fighter, but too much bullshit has been surrounding him lately. If he beats both of these guys, you've got to go up to light heavyweight, compete with those guys up there. Who knows? You might even win the light heavyweight belt and continue to cement your place in history, but dodging and all this bullshit and I won't fight this guy or Blah, 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 I'm going to dance around for 15 minutes. People don't want to see that shit, so I'm really glad that Dana White is stepping up and putting a little bit of pressure on. In regards to um, what I said about Paul Daly, he did get cut from the UFC right after the pay-per-view, so he's gone as his Kimbo slice. Uh, the fight of the night bonuses for UFC 113 was $65,000 apiece. Uh, the KO of the night went to Shogun. The submission of the night went to Alan Belcher, and the fight of the night went to Jeremy Stevens and Sam Stout. Uh, this, this Saturday, the 15th, is Strike Force uh, St. Louis Heavy Artillery. Definitely something to check out. Um, the card is really good. You've got Alistair Overeem fighting Brett Rogers for the heavyweight title, you've got Andre Arlosky on that card. He's fighting Antonio Silva. Uh, Jacare is on there. He's fighting Joe Villasenor. One of the Gracies, Roger Gracie, will be fighting Kevin Randleman, who I'm a big fan of. Um, Antoine Britt is fighting uh, Fay Jow. I'm also a fan of him as well. Definitely a great fight. I believe it's on Showtime. So if you do have Showtime from your local provider, definitely check it out this Saturday. Great night of fights from Strike Force for sure. Also, uh, following UFC 113, Dana White announced that the winner of the Rampage Jackson-Rashad Evans fight on this, at the end of the month is going to get a shot at Shogun next. So definitely something to look forward to there. If you're on the fence about ordering that card, let me tell you, the UFC Primetime Special, uh, the highest-rated Primetime Special now ever um, with Rampage and Rashad Evans is a must-see. It's, uh, you can probably catch it on Spike. I'm more than sure they're going to replay it. If not, you can check it out probably every Wednesday at 11 p.m., those two guys fucking hate each other, and they are going to beat the piss out of each other for a title shot. And as a fan of Rampage, the fact is that Rampage, he has, you know, the, the blemish that he left to do the A-team, and then he came back, blah, blah, blah. The fact is, these two guys have genuine hate. The the, the words that have been exchanged leading up to the fight are going to be really exciting, and it's not going to end in a, in a fashion where it's a decision. Somebody's looking to either knock somebody out or submit somebody. That's the only way it's going to be, because the, that's, how, that's how deep-seated this rivalry has gotten, and I definitely am looking forward to see it. Also, the Quebec Athletic Commission announced that they are going to do an investigation to determine if Paul Daly's fight license should be suspended following his incident with Josh Koscheck. Uh, based on that, we're going to see how that plays out in the next few weeks. Um, I've got to give credit to MMA Junkie for that, and I, I want to see. I want to see what happens with Paul Daly. There's rumors saying that he may go into boxing. There's other rumors that he may go to strike force. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing this pan out. If his license gets suspended uh, for a fight, to fight in Canada, it's going to be real interesting to see what organization is going to take him. It's, it's crazy. Um, Spike TV confirmed that the UFC prelims will be coming back for UFC 115, which takes place June 12th. Um, The prelims, of course, are going to air on Spike TV at 9 p.m. The UFC 115 card looks pretty solid. I I don't think it's a card I'd order just because it doesn't jump out at me as a card I really, really, really need to see. But you never know. Uh, The main event is Chuck Liddell versus Rich Franklin. Uh, Pat Barry's fighting Crow Cop. Martin Catman's on that card, filing Paulo Thiago. Ben Rothwell's on there. Rory McDonough, Carlos Condit. Uh, the preliminary card, which will be shown on Spike TV, is Mac Danzig fighting Matt Wyman and Evan Dunham fighting Tyson Griffin. Um, in addition, in some slash MMA slash video game news, um, EA Sports announced some new additions to their EA Sports MMA game, which is coming out this later on this year. Um, Alistair Overeem is added Andre Arlovsky is added Lyle Beerbaum, Roger Gracie, Kevin Randeman Vito Rivero Fabrice, and Fabricio Verdum as well as Shinefight's Murillo Ninja Hua which of course is the brother of Shogun um, in addition to that they'll be joining Fedor, Kung Le King Mo and Randy Couture in that game um, last week I discussed the possibility of Carl Parisian signing with Strikeforce turns out that the deal fell through and that it's not going to happen uh, Scott Coker from Strikeforce said we had a cup of coffee. It didn't work out. He's a great kid and we wish him luck. Um, as of right now, it seems that Carl will be fighting in Australia and he'll be, he'll be able to um, perform over there just on the basis that the fines that he owes the Athletic Commission are here in the U.S. and they're saying that the Australian Athletic Commission will not collect those fines. So Definitely good to see Carl back in the mix. Unfortunate that he won't fight in strike force but Nonetheless, it, it, it might be the first step to a road back for him. For those of you that are in the Las Vegas area, you guys can go and check out the UFC Fan Expo May 28th and 29th. Definitely really bummed that I can't go. It's going to be at the Mandalay Bay Convention Center in Vegas. Tickets are 30 bucks for the 28th, $35 for the 29th. Just a, an awesome expo. They've got to do this shit in New York. You've got training sessions from Frank Mir, Uriah Faber, Jens Paul Vermatsera, Eddie Bravo, just to go and learn from Eddie Bravo alone and Mark Delagradi is fantastic, and Randy Couture as well. There are going to be a two-hour training sessions that will run 150 bucks, and it's limited to the first 100 uh, registrants. Of course, you're going to have exhibitions from Affliction, a.k.a. BJ Penn Enterprises. Bruce, the Bruce Lee Foundation is going to be there, which is really cool. Echo Unlimited, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Fighters that will be at the expo giving autographs, Anderson Silva, Ben Henderson, Clay Guida, Dan, Dan Hardy, of course, Koscheck, holy shit, Leota Machida, Matt Serra. I'm so mad I can't go to this. It's, it's ridiculous. And, um, in some other news, the DA announced today that they will not be filing criminal charges against Tito Ortiz given his issue with his domestic dispute with Jenna Jameson. It seems that they're not going to proceed with that, so all is well in the Ortiz household. Peto doesn't get cut by the UFC. He doesn't get any charges against him, and hopefully him and Jenna Jameson can iron out their issues. And, of course, like I said, the UFC primetime special with Rampage and Evans was the highest-rated UFC show in history, according to the network. It had 1.2 million viewers for the first airing, and then it had a 1.1 in the male 18 to 49 demographic. I'm telling you, man, these guys, they're going to beat the piss out of each other. We're going to talk... All three minutes of wrestling right after the break. Back in a flash.
2: 47 Radio, if you're easily offended, fuck off.
0: <laughs> fuck the party head coach. You know, I'm going to kill myself after I kill my wife. And the, the best way I can think of it is to cut, cut my camera, cut my legs off. We actually have audio from this too. Did you want to hear it? Sure. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh.
1: All right, that chainsaw audio really does freak me out, so I'm cutting that commercial a little short. Let's talk some wrestling. First off, this week's host for Monday Night Raw is famed astronaut Buzz Aldrin. He will be hosting Raw this week. I'm more than sure there's going to be space jokes and old guy jokes and total bullshit. I do have to say something, though. The, the guest host thing does have moments of humor. Last week, Wayne Brady hosted Raw and Wayne Brady ended up getting an RKO from Randy Orton. It amused the shit out of me. It was hilarious. Wayne Brady sold it like a champ. And Wayne Brady wasn't a bad guest. He wasn't there too much. He was pretty familiar with the product. He didn't mess up anybody's names. This week, uh, a combination of two things happened. Number one, Raw was being hosted by Flava Flav. Number two, Meatloaf showed up. So you're probably saying to yourself, who's Meatloaf? If you've seen Fight Club... And you know who Bitch Tits Bob is? That's Meatloaf. If, you lo- if you're a fan of music, you'll know who Meatloaf is. Nonetheless, um, Meatloaf comes out shilling his CD uh, in the middle of a Randy Orton promo. Um, he's trying to sell Randy Orton on the CD, he's promoting the CD. He gets RKO'd by Randy Orton. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this isn't so much for the fact that he RKO'd um, Wayne Brady last week and Meatloaf this week but it really seems like they're trying to give that Stone Cold Steve Austin vibe to Randy Orton where he's just very unpredictable and every, anybody and everybody can, can be a victim at any moment. Definitely think it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing, especially with his new persona that they're pushing. Um, definitely made great use of the guest host for that week. Um, it, I see this becoming a trend. I don't know if Buzz Aldrin, he's old as shit, is going gonna, is gonna to eat an RKO from Randy Orton this week, but nonetheless definitely something to keep an eye out to keep an eye on for sure overall uh, Flavor Flav was okay um, the funniest thing about Flavor Flav being the host was that you got to see William Regal rap which was very amusing um, Flavor Flav, not, not the best host, not the worst, definitely uh, mixed bag of course Raw took the opportunity to set up their next pay-per-view which is over the limit um, they ended up setting up the tag team title match between the Hard Dynasty and the new alliance of The Miz and Chris Jericho. Um, Definitely just an overall build to the pay-per-view, which wasn't bad. Um, They're definitely working on doing something with Ted DiBiase. They had something involving him and Carlito and Primo, which definitely is a step in the right direction. I don't know if they're going to align those three guys or if it was just a one-time thing. So overall, Raw wasn't terrible. Can't talk about TNA too much because TNA got moved to Thursdays and it's probably being taped as we speak. In other news, Beth Phoenix is out with a knee injury and she will be on the shelf for a little bit. So definitely wishing her a speedy recovery. One of the best divas that they got there. Um, It's a shame that she got hurt, but hey, it is what it is. I'm going to take another quick break and we're going to get into some games because there's a lot to discuss.
4: I wonder what's
3: on tonight, even.
1: Tonight at ten on your local news.
3: I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you save? Me? This is the deal of the century, people. I'm telling. You.
4: So Jason, uh, what, what? I mean, what? What are we doing tonight? Tumbling with tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m.
0: BlogTalkRadio.com, Eastern Standard Time.
3: Do you even know,
1: Jason? Jason, are you there? All right, we're back. Let's talk some video games. First off, those of you that are fans of the Final Fantasy series and own a PS3, of course, I'm more than sure you probably picked up Final Fantasy VII. Hell, you might have even picked up Final Fantasy VIII. Well, guess what? You're going to be able to pick up Final Fantasy IX very soon. OneUp is reporting that the game, which was already slated for the Japanese PlayStation Network, will be debuting on the U.S. PlayStation Store very soon. Um, I actually liked Final Fantasy VII the most. Eight was definitely okay. A lot of people feel that nine was one of the best ones. Uh, I have a mixed reaction to that. I like nine, but I personally enjoyed seven the most. Nonetheless, definitely a, a great move if you enjoy the Final Fantasy series. It's probably going to be 10 bucks when it uh, debuts on the, PlayStation, on the PlayStation Store within the next few months. Also, last week I was talking about Nintendo posting uh, some really weird losses yet having the best game sales year in their history for the third straight year. It seems that Capcom is also in the same boat. They actually lost an income of $23 million. That's a drop of 73.1%. Um, they made $722 million this year. That's down from 27.3% from last year. Uh, the decrease in sales was due to the delays of Super Street Fighter 4, Monster Hunter Tri, and Lost Planet 2. In Japan, they pointed out that Monster Hunter Tri and Monster Hunter Freedom Unite were strong sellers. One-Upper is reporting that the restructuring of the arcade division also contributed to the losses. But on the flip side, Capcom is reporting and predicting that their net sales will be at least a billion dollars, and that's going to cancel any of the fiscal losses for this year. I think, especially in Capcom's case, they have so many uh, properties that they can put out that... If they post a loss now, they're going to make it right back. I mean, you do have Lost Planet 2 coming out. Super Street Fighter 4 just came out, which I'll discuss their sales numbers later on. And Monster Hunter Tri, everybody says, is really good. Um, I haven't played it yet, but definitely a game that a lot of people were looking forward to. It's it's weird how, you know, they, they posted these losses, but they still made $722 million, so shit isn't that bad. Also... In keeping with the theme of losses, Nintendo took the opportunity after last week, talking about their losses that were posted, to discuss the upcoming 3DS. They actually said that, for those of you that feel that it will be a strain on the eyes or definitely a hokey add-on, you can definitely take solace in the fact that Nintendo announced that the 3D portion can be turned off. Uh, Satoru Iwata, while talking to Forbes magazine, said that turning the 3D function off will be easy. He also acknowledged health concerns about the 3D possibly harming children's eyesight. This does raise more questions about the handheld, such as will every game not be in 3D? Will the function be available for games that need them? You know, What, are, what, what selling points is the console going to have other than 3D? We're, we're going to have to wait till June when E3 comes about um, of course to not be outdone Sony's rumored to be debuting the PSP2 at E3. Um, the fact is if you can turn it on or turn it off the 3D on this 3DS, what else is it going to do? I mean, if the, if the allure is 3D and it's something that can be turned on or off, what's the real necessity in having the console? Is, is there, is there going to be a completely new design? Um, is it going to be new functionality that the other previous consoles didn't have? It, it really is weird, and it, it disturbs me just because When this console comes out, you basically have three versions of the DS out. You have the DSi, you have have the regular DS, and you also have the DSi XL. And with the 3D, it's going to be the fourth. Now, what's going to happen? Are they going to phase out just the regular 3DS and only focus on the 3DSi? Is the 3DSi XL going to be the one that's going to be kind of phased out quietly? It's crazy that you're going to have basically four handhelds that all play the same games, just with small added benefits. I mean, the DSi, yeah, it has the camera, and it has a couple of little things here and there, but other than that, it's still the DS. And on the contrary, you lose functionality because you can't play some of your, cartridge, your cartridge-based games. You know, it doesn't make any sense. And then you go into the DSi XL, while it is bigger and it is a, 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 nicer, a nicer version for those of us that, you know, want a more full screen you're still losing out because when the 3DS comes out, what happens to one of those consoles is going to fold, and at the end of the day, people are going to get tired of having, they're going to get tired of having to have four different Game Boys. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, for, uh, I don't know if Nintendo's really going to if they're going to be successful having four portable handhelds out there. It's, I don't know, man. It's frustrating, especially for those of us that, you know, you you have one portable system and then maybe you'll get the second, you know, to enjoy some of the functionality. Now you're on four systems. It's something's got to give, man. Nintendo is definitely not thinking correctly, especially with this. In other news, Game Informer put out a feature about Little Big Planet 2, giving out some tidbits on the gameplay, and um, they discussed the level editor, and it said that. They would allow it, the game to allow you to make different types of games within the console. You're going to get pretty much the ability to create RPG games, shooters, racing games, puzzle games. Um, so They actually had photos of somebody creating a complete Command and Conquer clone. Um, the creator said that you're going to be able to do a customizable... A customizable heads-up display. You're going to be able to customize the control. You're going to have custom sound effect that you can record yourself. You can even control the way that the character jumps. It, it really is cool. I'm a huge fan of Little Big Planet. The fact is that it's, it's a very innovative game. It's a very fun game. It's not for everybody. It's very unique in presentation, but it's a very tranquil game. It's not uber violent. It opens up different realms of play. It allows you to be creative, which I, which I enjoy. It makes you think. And um, it's funny because Sony, after, of course, Game Informer, Game Informer ruined that particular announcement, they actually put a formal announcement out, and they said that you're going to get new accessories and equipments for your sack boy or sack girl, including a grappling hook, power gloves, a magic bag. You're also going to have a completely brand-new storyline and a revamp graphics engine. You're going to get a deeper create mode. You're going to have Sackbots, which are robotic Sackboys. The Sackbots will be programmable with animations, voiceovers, and clothing as well. You're going to, of course, continue to create levels. Plus, you'll be able to take any original levels from Little Big Planet and play them in Little Big Planet 2. There's also a rumor that some bonus levels will include support for the PlayStation Move. Um, The release date wasn't given but a trailer was released, which you can check out on mytakeradio.com as well. Um, the fact of the matter is Little Big Planet, like I said, is a very unique franchise. It's not for everybody. It's not something that you're gonna jump in and automatically think it's, it's the end all be all, but it, it's a very cool game. For me, it's actually um, a very calming game. You know, you know, there's days you have shitty days. You wanna come in, you wanna shoot some aliens, you wanna kill something, you wanna beat something up in a fighting game. And then there's just some days you want to play a game that you can just chill and relax and kind of let your brain do more of the work. And I I I like this. I like the presentation of Little Big Planet, and I hope that the second one is just as successful as the first. So definitely, if you haven't checked it out, head over to mytakeradio.com and check out that message as well. I mean, check out the trailer as well. Also, um, Fallout 3 New Vegas is going to have a really awesome collector's edition for you Fallout fans. You're going to get a set of Lucky 7 poker chips for each of the New Vegas casinos, as well as a custom set of playing cards. You're also going to get a Lucky 38 platinum chip and the graphic novel All Roads. In addition to that, you're going to get a making-of DVD as well. So if you've been looking forward to that and you're going to pick up a limited edition, um, you're going to be able to pick that up this fall for the PS3, the 360, and the PC. So I think collector's editions are cool. Sometimes they go a little too crazy with the shit they add. The, the Fallout Collector's Editions are something that are love-hate. I've seen people really like some of the stuff included, and I've seen others that feel that the stuff is utterly worthless. Nonetheless, if you guys are fans of that, you can pick that shit up in the fall. In regards to Project Natal or Project Natal or whatever you want to call it and the PlayStation Move, it seems that Mar- Microsoft's marketing edit- editor, I mean marketing manager From Microsoft Saudi Arabia accidentally confirmed that Project Natal will be releasing in October. Uh, Syed Bilal Tariq confirmed uh, the following, I do have great news to share with everybody that Project Natal will be launched in Saudi Arabia and in the world somewhere in October. We will be in a position to confirm the date after E3, which is in June, but definitely it's going to be in October 2010. Of course, Microsoft hasn't confirmed or denied the statement, but A lot of people were expecting Natal to debut in November um, to compete against the the PlayStation Move, but I think that Microsoft is going to try and get the jump on that and definitely try and get get their product out of the gate first. Uh, The Project Natal from the video I've seen as well as the PlayStation Move look nice in theory, but I really want to see the delay in motion and how it's executed. Um, in a live audience. I mean, you can put out tech demos and stuff, but that shit's always tested and and put through the right hardware and the right configuration. I want to see some fat guy in his living room playing Natal and see if it looks the same. I want to see some chubby zero playing PlayStation Move in their in their kitchen or in their you know in their small studio apartment. That's what I want to see. Real world demos actually are better for me personally because. It's not actors, it's not special hardware, it's real-life people just filming it with their phone, and it's shaky, but you can at least get a better feel for it, and you'll see if there's any sort of delay and stuff. Tech demos, to me, while they are nice and they showcase products at their fullest, I really want to see, just in-home, I want to see, that's one of the reasons We Fit proved to be so popular. It was a lot of people putting up videos of We Fit, and... Just real world people enjoying the product as it's meant to be enjoyed, and not some 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 douche in a shoot in a suit and tie, you know, waving his hands around like a fucking asshole. Definitely something I, I I'm waiting to see how it does. Both companies are saying that their products are going to be sixty bucks, um, less than a hundred. I'm assuming for Sony, there's already been leaks going on that the PlayStation Move is going to be sixty bucks, and you're going to get the nunchuck like controller for thirty. Uh, Natal, on the other hand, has been discussed at being 100 bucks. um, I've seen people talking about it being 79 99 Overall, I just want to see how successful this is, and if they can actually do it better than the Wii has done thus far. We'll see what happens this fall. In some Gears of War 3 news, which they also discussed on Game Informer, um, they actually put out a couple of tidbits about it, if you really care about it. The fact is that the game is going to take place a year and a half after Gears of War 2. The Gears now live on what's called the Raven's Nest, which is an aircraft carrier. You're going to be able to have four-player co-op with Marcus Phoenix and Dom. You're also going to be joined by Anya Stroud and a newcomer named Jace Stratton. Um, There's also going to be some new enemies being introduced, such as the Lambent, which are locust horde members that have been mutated due to prolonged exposure to emulsion. Those are going to be your main enemies. Then you're also going to have a new enemy called the Drudge, or the Drudges, that spread tentacles when they are attacked. These tentacles can pluck people from behind cover. They also rush at players and explode before dying. So it's going to be a a very interesting cover system when you have these crazy tentacle shits trying to jump at you. Um, You're going to have new Locust classes, including the Grenadier, which are going to have these really large organic catapults. You're going to have brand-new weapons. Which is a, a pendulum lancer with a bayonet attached to short burst rounds. You're also going to have a digger launcher that sends creatures through the ground and they seek out and devour their targets. You're going to get a new hammer burst, you're going to assault off shotgun, and a massive one shot rifle. So they're going to also add, which is, I think it's stupid, they're going to do an arcade mode, which is going to add like big head mode and adjustable gravity. I don't know how, ma- how many people give a fuck about that, but. It's, it's hokey, to say the least. You're going to have, of course, stat tracking. You're going to have two-player, multiplayer... Uh, you're going to get two multiplayer maps, um, one which is going to be over the remains of Jacinto, and then the other one's going to be on a ruined thrash ball field. In addition, something which I found very interesting is that the multiplayer maps will evolve over time. You're going to have some areas that will be flooded, and then the water's going to recede over time, which I think is pretty cool. Um, I think that that makes multiplayer maps more appealing, the fact that, you know, the gameplay is going to change. Uh, It would be cool, you know, flooded environments, snowy environment, um, barren wasteland, uh, flaming lava, all kinds of shit, especially if it changes, you know, from month to month. It'll make the experience that much more rewarding, and I think it'll make people want to buy the map packs more. And I think that's actually going to be something that more first-person shooter developers are going to start putting out there, the, you know, real-world map packs that evolved. I think that's going to be something worth seeing for sure. Um, Cliffy B is still a douche, don't get me wrong, but um, the fact that they're adding little innovations like that is pretty cool. I've got to give credit where credit is due. In um, some other Nintendo news, they were talking to Satoru Iwata, and they were asking him about the possible demise of the console um, and how he feels uh, console longevity looks in the long term. He says that the demise of the console is not coming soon. He said the following, and I quote, We do not think that the combination of a game, su- game system and dedicated software will last forever. However, we do not believe that the hardware dedicated to gaming shall become obsolete and perish. I personally think that that kind of scenario is unthinkable. Iwata went on to say that engaging people on game systems is the lifeline for the company, and added, should we stop what we're doing, the current business configuration with a video game system and dedicated software could become obsolete. However, we have been thinking of proposing new ideas one after another. We do not think that it will become obsolete at all. I personally think that the future of gaming is going to become something with digital distribution. And it's pretty much going to be, you're going to buy a console and the games are going to be on a, on a virtual store just like they are now and they're just going to be piped in locally. Um, this eliminates overhead, Box art, boxes. It it really is leaning towards digital distribution. And it's funny because it brings me into two other things I wanted to discuss. And that's EA's new tactic, which is where people that buy a game brand new will have all the features accessible. But if you buy a game used, you're going to have to pay $10 to unlock all the additional features, in which case, you're basically going to end up paying $39.99 for a $30 used game just because EA wants to make money on the content that you're not buying when you purchase the used one. I personally think that it's really unfortunate that this is the model that they're choosing to go. A lot of people have disagreed with me, and they feel that, you know, you're still getting more value because you're getting the game for 40 bucks as opposed to 60 and you'll still be able to use all the features, but... The fact of the matter is we get nickel and dimed as it is with shit on Xbox Live, new maps, new clothes, new uniforms, buy this weapon, buy this costume pack, get these five extra stages, here's an alternate ending. The shit that we just get nickel and dimed about on, 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 a, on numerous occasions. And the fact of the matter is that I buy a used game and I pay 30 bucks for it. That should be it. I shouldn't pay 30 bucks and get a crippled game. And EA is actually going to start implementing this going forward with Tiger Woods PGA Tour 2011. The fact is, like I said, they're trying to ensure that the used games are generating them revenue. Because the fact of the matter is that publishers lose money when you buy the game used. Because at the end, all that money is the initial profit is going to GameStop. You know, they pay 10 bucks for the game, you pay 40 they make 30 and that's it. The publisher doesn't make money. They make more money on, first, on first-time sales than on pre-owned sales. This is their method of them making some more money. I don't know if everybody agrees with it. I personally don't. Some people say that the publishers are entitled to make more money. Again, I beg to differ. Um, nonetheless, real quick, if you want to call and discuss that or any of the other things we've discussed, telephone number is 347-324-3541. Um, Moving on, I want to talk a little bit about the MPD numbers for this month. First off, sales, definitely a drop for the Wii. The, Wii, um, the sales for the Wii went down 50% from the month of March. Hardware sales overall fell by 37%. Uh, software didn't do any better. Splinter Cell Conviction was one of the highest-selling games, as was, but Super Street Fighter IV bare, barely made it onto the list. So let's discuss some of the drops. The DS sold 441,000 units in March. In April, we sold, it sold 260,000 units. Uh, the Wii sold 277,000, and there was a drop from 281,000. No, actually, it was 277 in, in March, and it went up to 281,000, but it's nowhere near where it should have been. Um, the fact is that it dropped overall, but they're still doing pretty good. The 360 at 185,000 last month, they sold 153,000 this month. The PS3, 181 last month, 133. The PSP is just tanking horribly with uh, 66,000 in March and 54,000 in April. The PS2 sales are no longer being tracked by the MPD, so no more uh, rage sessions of me saying where the hell are all these PS2s because MPD is no longer going to be tracking that sales data. It's really uh, unfortunate that the, that the console sales have dropped, but I can see it happening just because there's nothing out there making you want to buy a console to play. It's, it's unfortunate, but it is the way it is. The fact is that the top ten games for the month are as follows. Uh, Splinter Cell Conviction, 486000 Pokemon Soul Silver, 243,000. New Super Mario Brothers Wii still up there, 200,000. I don't know where the where the surge came from. Pokemon Heart Gold, 193,000. God of War 3, 180,000. Wii Sports Resort with the Wii Motion Plus, Plus, um, 180,000 as well. Battlefield Bad Company, Wii Fit Plus, Just Dance, and Super Street Fighter 4, which barely made it into the top ten. Super Street Fighter 4, for the PS3, mind you, sold 143,000 units. Wii Fit Plus um, didn't have the numbers for it, but Wii Sports Resort sold 179,000 units. It really is crazy the way that it's going, and um, before I discuss it further, we're going to bring Josh on. He wants to discuss uh, EA's new uh, strategy with used games. Let's see what he's got. Josh, you're on the air.
0: Hey, Rich, how's it going tonight?
1: What's going on, dude?
0: Nothing. I've just been thinking about this EA thing, and um, I think we really need to see how it plays out in terms of being industry-wide as opposed to just being something that EA does. If it's something that just EA does, we could sort of brush it aside because people will boycott EA games or they won't boycott EA games, and it'll be very, you know, it'll just be a one-off type of thing. If the whole industry adopts it, then it's got to be more interesting because then as as a gamer and a consumer, you have to decide on a per-game basis, where the money's going. You know, if it's a big company like EA, yeah, they want to line their pockets with more money. But let's say it's a smaller developer, and they'll say, you know what, GameStop, who pretty much owns the used market, as you know, um, is getting all this money off of our hard work, you know, there should be some sort of payoff for us. And I guess on, on an individual basis, gamers are going to have to decide whether that's, um, you know, beneficial to them or not. If They want more and better games down, down the line because these developers have more money, or if they say, hey, I don't want to throw another $10 at a game that already, you know, someone already bought and that I'm getting used. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, don't you think when you walk into a store and you buy a game brand new and you pay 50 bucks for it, you get a complete game. Then you have the option of purchasing downloadable content for it, and you move on. The 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 publisher's still going to make money in the sense that if you buy a used game and you take it home, you're still going to want to buy some of that downloadable content. None of it is being saved on the disc, which is it's what bothers me with EA because say you buy Madden for sixty bucks, and you get all the options, you buy all the packs, and you know you buy a roster update that's five bucks, you buy uniform update that's another five bucks. So basically, the game ends up costing you seventy bucks. When you buy the used game the GameStop is making thirty bucks but you're still wanna go you're gonna go and buy those roster updates. Yeah, don't get me wrong, they're not making the whole egg of sixty dollars. But the fact is that the publisher is still making money on the microtransactions.
0: They are, but those are also things that you choose to do. They're not the full game. You know, well, the way I think about it is is, you know, if you buy a car or a used car, you're you're really getting less car than the original. With the video game, you're getting exactly what the what the original owner got, you know, there's there's no loss of quality. You're not getting like a shittier version of the game because someone played it for X amount of time. So the value of it really should retain more. You know what I mean? So it's really a question of how, you know how that relates to. You. It's gonna be an individual basis on whether people think that, that these things bother. Personally, me, I don't buy all the add-on shit. I don't buy avatars and all these kind of costumes and all that kind of shit. So that. I've, that part of the business doesn't really affect me. You know, I'm the type of gamer, I buy a game for 60 bucks, I play it for two weeks, bang it out, finish it, and then sell it for 30 to $40 on eBay or however I go about it. But, um, you know, is it worth it to me than to buy new games if it's going to cost me, you know, really $10 more to buy them used? You know what I mean? It's like it's going to just change the dynamics of how people buy games, buy $10 one way or another. You know, now a game that I paid 60 for instead of, you know, getting 34, it might be 40 or it might be 20. You know what I mean? It might go in the other direction. I might only get 20 because the person who's buying it has to pay another 10 to bring it up to 30. And if 30 is the established value for that game used, that changes things too.
1: Well, you know what it is? If, if, if that's the route they're going to go, then they're going to have to do something about storage. Because if, you're, if you buy a majority of your games used, and every time you gotta pay ten bucks to unlock the shit, you know it's stuff that's being downloaded into the system. Your system is probably gonna be badged to make sure that you're, you know, that 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 you paid for the stuff. And the Xbox 360 is a perfect example. Their storage capability sucks ass.
0: Right, but I mean, is it gonna be downloadable, or is it just gonna be a DRM that's gonna be unlocked on the disc itself?
1: Well, that's what they're trying to figure out. They're saying that the DRM, if they do a DRM like that, that they're gonna have a lot of issues with retailers that sell used stuff, just because not you know you you're gonna get the the kid that you know he saved up twenty bucks to buy the game, and you know he's gonna be upset that he gets home and he gets the game and he you know for an and for an extra ten bucks he can't play what he wants to play. Uh, a lot of the outcry is basically coming from the fact that not everybody has a disposable income and the only re, and the only way they buy their games is used.
0: Oh, of course. Is, but, you know, it's what unfortunate. You anything else. Video, video gaming is an expensive hobby, you know what I mean, just like anything else. If you want to play golf, it's expensive, you know, to, to join a club or go for a day, or if you want to play tennis, you got to pay X amount per hour. It's like anything else. It should cost money, and you have to accept it. You know, I know that, unfortunately, or unfortunately games are geared towards children more, more so, or young people, um, and they don't have the kind of income that someone who's, you know, in their 40s might have uh, from working. Um, you know, Back to the whole point of, of this scheme, we really just have to wait and see how it catches on. But I personally think it would be a better idea if, the, if like EA set up their own used game shop you know, online where they would buy back your game for, let's say, I, mean, I don't know, what, what, is, what does GameStop pay for gaming? is like $3? Well, you
1: know, $3. you know what the problem is, and EA's games depreciate so much, if you go and you buy ga- an EA game, I don't know what it is, man. EA has to have kryptonite or something in the games because when you sell a, an EA game back to GameStop, they, they give you shit. It's like if you buy What's Madden... It?
0: What's the number? The, give me a number. What's the number for Madden?
1: Well, for Madden, if you buy a game and you pay 60 bucks and you go a month or two later, they, they might give you $15 for it a month later.
0: That's fine. What about six months down the road? How much are you going to get for it?
1: $8, maybe $4 and then they're going to sell it for thirty-four ninety-nine, which is an issue as well and then, you know
0: Well, then why doesn't, why doesn't EA do the same thing? Why doesn't EA say, you know, give timetables say, I'll buy it back, we'll buy it back you know, GameStop is buying that and for $5 bucks. we are going to buy it for $10 They
1: should, I, I think, think that the publisher it should online. do that
0: You know, I mean it's, it's so cheap, I mean, it's gonna, all it's going to cost is shipping, yeah, I mean, they're going to do so much there's going to be so many units it's going to be like Netflix price. Shipping where it doesn't really cost that much or anything, especially these they use the post and those you know, stupid envelopes cost nothing. You know, and they could, instead of GameStop getting 35 bucks, they could get 35 bucks or thirty. Well, you know, I, wa-
1: I want to see what happens with, with companies like Gamefly that do, that do rentals and EA want, wanting to impose this. How it's going to affect the rental market? Because are you going to basically classify a rental as a pre-owned game? Well, you, yeah, what happens- you see... Yeah, you know, like, it's a gray area, but then every person that rents that game is going to have to shell out 10 bucks.
0: Yeah, well, they, but they would never do that either. They, they would continue to let... The rental place would continue to be able to rent, you know, non-DRM games, or they just... It just wouldn't exist anymore. But I don't see why it wouldn't exist, because, you know, those, those places, Gamefly must buy, you know, tons and tons of copies. I mean, ridiculous. And if Netflix jumps in, which eventually will have to, I think. You know, you're talking about dough.
1: Oh yeah, there's a rumor there there was a rumor I read about an hour ago about Gamefly potentially being bought by Netflix.
0: Yeah, I mean it makes it makes perfect sense and Netflix has got the cash kind of to do it. I mean they could really do it on their own unless depends on what, what system you know, GameFly has the um the system already set up in terms of organizi- organizing the games in such a way that it's to to ship out, which I guess they do, because you use Gamefly, right, you like it.
1: Yeah, is uh, Gamefly, a very good system. I actually save a lot, uh, a decent amount of money on games, because there's some games that are definitely rental quality, and there's some games that are must owns I mean, I, I've gotten bit in the ass with games that I bought blindly, you know, that they did, there wasn't a demo for, it and I thought it was really good, and then I played it, and it was utter rubbish, you know, and I had to sell it and get ten bucks for it. But, um, Gamefly has been, been good, man. You know, you shell out basically, you know, a fraction of a $60 game. You shell out 20 bucks. You get two or three games at a time, and you call it a day, so you get three games, you know, for, for less than, than a new one, and you keep them for as long as you want. I mean, I'm not, I'm not shilling them, but they, they do a, a great job, you know?
0: Yeah, you know, what's interesting about it, now that I think about it, it goes back to what you said before about the Wii. Um, in terms of gameplay, it's very much like, the console in terms of if there are good games out there, then Gamefly is good. If there's a lack of content, Gamefly is useless. You know, yep. It's sort of like, you know, you, you were wondering why Mario probably sold so many copies is because it's the only game out for the Wii that anybody wants.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. What
0: else are you going to buy?
1: Well, new Super Mario Wii came out, I believe, before the holidays. Here we are, you know, halfway... Almost at the halfway mark through 2010, and it's still selling 200,000 copies. It's it's really ridiculous. It's, it's like that's all that Nintendo has to offer that and Wii Sports Resort and Wii Fit and Just Dance, which which, which actually outsold Super Street Fighter 4.
0: But that's what makes the Wii the, the craziest console. You know, it, it makes no sense, but they it, it, it just print money off of it.
1: Yeah, it's an easy bake. I told you it's an easy bake oven with a controller. <laughs>
0: I don't even know if it's that powerful. Yeah. But anyway, I'll let's get back to the show. I, I just think with the EA thing, we got to let it play out. See, you know, over the next couple of months. See what happens at E3. See what other companies if other companies jump on, or if they're a little bit you know nervous about it. Because there are a lot of things that most people don't think about, like the game. I mean, the game plan thing is is really interesting. What's going to happen to them, and what's going to be the situation? You know, will they continue to carry uh, EA games, or or sort of they're you know, just going to fade them out and go with everybody else. I don't know. I'm I'm going to have to
1: find somebody that plays Tiger Woods and buys a used copy and see what they say about it. Sounds good. All right, dude. Thanks for the call. Thanks.
0: Great show. See you. All
1: right. Later. You know, it's funny because EA is one of those companies that, that people just really either love them or really hate them. It's crazy because EA is... They they shill out a lot of the same stuff. They use the same repetitive formulas, and I don't know if it's their attempt to try and revolutionize the industry. But like Josh said, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve judgment and let it play out. But personally, I want to see what happens with the with the rental places and the mom and pops that sell used games and how it affects them and whether you know that's even going to be a factor. But I definitely want to go back into the MPD numbers because. It's weird that Super Street Fighter 4 on the PS3 is number 10, and Super Street Fighter 4 on the 360 isn't even on there. So it raises the question, how many copies did they sell, if they're not even considered top 10 by the MPD? It's crazy that every system is dropped, and the the most dominating game was Splinter Cell Conviction, which, while I played the demo and I thought it was very good, really, almost 500,000 copies of that game? I mean, is it because there's a drought, you know, that drought of games that happens between March and June, or is it other factors? It's, it's crazy. It's, I want to see next month's MPD numbers and see if there's any improvement, especially with Lost Planet coming out, uh, Nier coming out, Red Dead Redemption coming out. I want to see how it plays out next month and see if there's an influx and some of these numbers go up. Uh, last bit of gaming news I want to discuss is Sony actually posted a really decent profit on the PlayStation 3, but um, they're not doing so good with the PSP. Uh, actually, Slick just uh, private messaged me and told me that Nier is out. Oh ah, shit. Definitely going to add it to the Gamefly queue. Thanks, Slick, for that. Um, maybe I'll put up a review about it. We'll see what's up with that. But um, as I was saying, Sony, they made 400... They actually had a loss... Of 439 million dollars, which is not as bad as the one billion dollar drop that they had before. But the fact is that the, that the PS3 actually became profitable, but the PSP went down in sales from 9.9 million this year from 14.4 last year. The game sales have also dropped from 44. a half million that they are now, they, they dropped from 50.3. The PS2 hardware is still selling. They sell 7.2 million units. And it's crazy because the PSP, you have two versions. You have better quality games, but it's just not catching on, which raises the question that if Sony bows out and doesn't do anything else with the PSP, I mean, of course, obviously I said that the PSP2 what may be discussed at E3, but for a second, let's take into consideration if they stop making the PSP, and the DS was the only game in town. It actually opens the door for a company like Apple to come in and compete on a level definitely not up to speed like the DS, but definitely taking out Sony's market share and making a hell of a lot more revenue. Now, you've got to ask yourself, are you going to go and play more games on, on, your, on your iPhone or your iPod versus your DS? if the quality of games improves, or are you more of a loyalist that's going to be on, you know, just on the Nintendo bandwagon? I'm actually going to raise that question on the site and maybe put up a a poll and see what you guys think. If Sony bowed out and you only had to choose between Apple and the DS and you had an iPod already or an iPhone, would you be gaming more on it as opposed to the DS? And we'll see what you guys have to say about that. I'm going to put that Probably I'll put that poll up on the site uh, by this weekend. Um, I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to talk some movies right after this.
0: You know those shows where they play video game music, and they laugh in, like, really high voices, like... (laughs) (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show, because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, video game news radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights
1: on all games.
0: Hey,
1: this is Rachel from MMA Hot Stuff, and you're listening to My Fake Radio. All right, let's talk some movies. Um, definitely a shorter movie segment this week just because there's really not too much happening of course like I said there's, there seems to be a drought in regards to all things entertainment related uh, for the month between March and June nonetheless um, I want to open up the movie news and discuss another Fast and the Furious which they want to do um, and allegedly it's being said that while the deal isn't finalized Deadline is reporting that The Rock is going to be involved in the 5th Fast and Furious film uh, they're saying that The, that the Rock is going to be um, or Dwayne Johnson for those non-wrestling fans he will be playing um, a cop in this movie and of course the rumors are that Vin Diesel and Paul Walker will continue in their roles um, made famous in their other four installments the fourth Fast and the Furious film made $353.2 million worldwide um, I think the involvement of The Rock in this franchise is, is good simply because the fact is that they don't, they don't go and, look, I'm going to be straight. The Fast and the Furious franchise is the most ridiculous franchise known to mankind, and I'll tell you why. Every time these movies come out, these kids go out, they buy these fucking neon green cars, and they, fla- and they slap stickers and spoilers and, you know, a muffler kit and a body kit, and all of a sudden, you know, they think that they can drift around turns at 150 miles an hour in a Toyota Tercel, or a fucking Hyundai Scoop, or what other piece of shit car they're driving. The fact of the matter is that while these movies have the same cookie-cutter plot in every movie, they are enjoyable if you're a fan of cars, if you like decent action, or if you're a fan of Vin Diesel or Paul Walker, they're your cup of tea. Um, They're an entertaining 90 minutes, don't get me wrong, but... You know, doing the fifth one, look, how much more story can you add? What's going to happen? They're going to steal Paul Walker's hairpiece, and Vin Diesel is on the run from The Rock trying to find out what happened to Paul Walker's hairpiece. Maybe they stole his smile, and Paul Walker's walking around with no no mouth because somebody stole it, and there has to be this whole big chase sequence to get back Paul Walker's smile. Look, man, it's the same plot all the time. It's just the only one that had a more unique plot was the Fast and Furious that took place in Japan. And that was just because they couldn't get anybody to do it. Paul Walker's like, look, man, I'm not fucking doing another one. And Vin Diesel's like, look, give me a couple of mil, I'll be in the credits, and that's it. It, Look, it's the same cookie-cutter plot, and the fact that it's gotten to a fifth movie shows that that demographic that likes all the car porn, so to speak... they're going to go and and plunk down money to see it. I will say, though, that in terms of Blu-ray quality, the Fast and the Furious franchise does have great sound and an awesome picture. Shitty plot, but great test DVDs for your home theater. Um, The Hollywood Reporter reported recently that Toby Jones, who was in W, Infamous, and The Mist, has been added to the cast of Captain America. He's going to be playing the Nazi scientist Aram Zola. Um, in addition to that, he will be joining Hugo Weaving, who is playing the Red Skull. Um, the fact is that Zola is a Nazi biochemist. He was um, in charge of creating a master. He was in charge of creating a master race of soldiers to serve as Hitler's bodyguards. Afterwards, Aram Zola was captured by the U.S. government and convinced to assist the United States and created the Super Soldier Program. I think that his involvement, the Aram Zola character's involvement, is good just because it's keeping it tied really close to the comic book. They're not trying to do some hokey origin. They're pretty much trying to keep it as close to the book as possible. And I want to definitely give props to Marvel for trying to keep it as accurate as possible. I know a lot of comic purists complain. I've already heard the people complaining about Iron Man. They didn't talk about Tony Stark being an alcoholic. They didn't talk about this. Man, It's like, look, man, you paid $8 or 10 bucks or whatever. Watch the movie and shut up. Was the plot good? Yes. Was the special effects cool? Yes. Were the action sequences great? Yes. Was it 100% comic book accurate? No. But if you're going to complain about every movie that comes out that's not like the book and not like the comic book, then you shouldn't watch fucking movies, and you should just stare at your toes or crank off in the bathroom. Seriously. I I heard at least from seven people this week. Dude, they didn't talk about Tony Stark being an alcoholic. Who gives a shit? I don't give a fuck. Well, Tony Stark, you you should have talked about that man, and they should have talked about it because, you know, it's a real important storyline. What, that Tony Stark is an alcoholic? What are you going to do? They showed a scene where he got a little twisted and he flew around in the Iron Man costume. There's your acknowledgement of Tony Stark drinking. Really? Do you really want to take it there in terms of wanting to be exactly like the book? If you were exactly like the book, these movies would be, like, fucking four hours long. You've got to trim some shit out, make it enjoyable for the people that go and watch it. It's, it's absurd. It, it, look, I pay for most of my movies. Let's just leave it at that. I pay for most of them. I go in there, and I go in there with an open mind. If it sucks, I try and find the bright side of it in addition to why it sucked. That's it. I don't sit there and pick it apart to the point of absurdity. You want to know why? Because... It, it ruined the experience. Sometimes you just want to go and have popcorn and have a few laughs with a few friends and not necessarily worry about whether the movie is deep enough or whether it's close enough to the book. Sometimes you just want to go with a couple of your buddies and fucking sit there and laugh. It's ridiculous. Tony Stark drunk. Dr- you know, he, he's a drunk. We get it. It wasn't focused on in the movie. Yeah, we get it. Watch the movie and shut up. I really hate these fucking people that complain about the most inane shit look at the box office totals. Nobody gives a shit. That's my little rant on that, but um, I'm gonna go back to that later on and I'll tell you why. Um, In keeping with a little bit of the Vin Diesel news from before with Fast and the Furious, they actually released a little bit of a plot synopsis for the next movie in the Pitch Black franchise, which is just gonna be called Riddick. Um, Basically what happens is um, the plot synopsis is as follows. Betrayed by his own kind and left for dead on a desolate planet, Riddick fights for, fights for survival against alien predators and becomes more powerful and dangerous than ever before. Soon, bounty hunters from throughout the galaxy descend on Riddick, only to find themselves pawns in his greater scheme for revenge. With his enemies right where he wants them, Riddick unleashes a vicious attack of vengeance before returning to, before returning to his home planet, Ophiria, to save it from destruction. Overall, pretty cookie-cutter plot. There's definitely going to be an acknowledgment of what happened in the second, in the Chronicles of Riddick film. So for those of you that think that, you know, they're going to just blow that off, they're not. They're actually going to discuss that and acknowledge what happened with him and the Necromongers. So it is going to tie into the overall universe of the Pitch Black franchise. I actually felt that Vin Diesel's best performances were in the Pitch Black films, particularly the first Pitch Black, because the character of Riddick, you're not meant to like that guy. He's an anti-hero, he he runs on his own set of ideals, his own set of of rules, and you, the viewer, get to enjoy that. A lot of people felt that in the second movie, Riddick gave a fuck about too many people and he cared too much and he was kind of emo, which is partially true, he was. But the fact of the matter is that his character overall kept a little bit of that edge that made him good. And everybody said it was going to be a trilogy and... They're going to close it out, hopefully the right way, and definitely a lot more violent than the previous one. So I'm, I'm not against the third Riddick movie. It's been a while since Pitch Black came out. It's been a while since Chronicles of Riddick came out, so who knows? And besides, this is supposed to allegedly close out the trilogy, so we'll see how it pans out. Thus far, not totally against the concept. The plot sounds good. We'll see how it plays out. I want to see a trailer. I'm hearing that there should be a trailer in the fall um, or possibly by the holidays. So as soon as I get it, I'll throw it up on mytakeradio.com for sure. Um, Wow. Let me refresh my notes. Um, I definitely want to talk a little bit of box office totals, of course. As expected, it's a no-brainer. Iron Man came out number 1 in the box office this weekend, blowing away the competition with a 133.6 million dollar opening weekend, which is the good which is the fifth biggest opening weekend of all time behind Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest. The film opened in a record 4,380 theaters. Each theater generated an average of $30,000. The film has already made $194 million overseas, which means worldwide it's made $327.6 million. The film cost $200 million to make, profitable from start to finish. Um, everybody seems to enjoy it, and they're not really giving a fuck that Tony Stark isn't an alcoholic. $133.6 million definitely makes a statement, so congratulations to the cast of Iron Man 2 for that for putting out a solid movie. Everybody I've talked to, even though they had their complaints, has said that the movie is solid. It's not utter garbage, but it's not the greatest comic book movie ever. It's, it's good. So as soon as I see it, I'll try and put up a review. Um, I'm more than sure that Slick probably has seen it or is planning on seeing it, and he will also put up a review as well. Nightmare on Elm Street dropped 72%. It was still number two, it made $9.2 million, it made $48.5 million on a budget of $35 million, which makes it profitable, which guarantees a sequel. How to Train Your Dragon continues to hold on, making $6.8 million in its eighth week, dropped down to number three, made $201 million out of a $165 million budget. Date Night was number four. The backup plan with Jennifer Lopez, nobody gives a fuck about it, was number five. Furry Vengeance, a.k.a. Brendan Fraser's shittiest movie ever, was number 6. Clash of the Titans was number 7. Death at a Funeral was 8. The Loser was number 9. I mean, The Losers, sorry. And Babies, I don't know what the hell that is, was number 10 this week. So definitely a a great weekend for Iron Man. And right now there's really nothing of of substance that's going to come out and dethrone Iron Man. So I definitely see that being in the top 10 for at least another month or two, for sure. Um, Judge Dredd, good old Judge Dredd, we know that uh, the fact is Judge Dredd was a fucking terrible movie based on a great comic book. You had Sylvester Stallone running around, I am the law, with his lazy eye and Armand Santi and fucking shitty-ass Rob Schneider. Awful. You thought that by making that movie it would be over, Well, you thought wrong, because it seems that Deadline is reporting that DNA Films is going to do a new Judge Dredd movie, and it's going to be um, Alex Garland, who wrote 28 Days Later, and Sunshine wrote the script, and Pete Travis, who did Vantage Point, is set for directing, to, to direct this film. The film is allegedly going to go back to its comic book roots and have a $50 million budget. I see that Waffles actually reminded me about something, and that is Machete. Um... I wanted to discuss Machete this week. A couple of things happened in the process. Number one, the studio pulled the trailer, so I can't direct people that haven't seen it to go to mytakeradio.com and check it out. I have the video saved. I can't upload it to the site because the file is too big. And overall, the movie's going to be awesome. Waffles, I'm sorry. I can't discuss it because I don't have the footage to back it up and direct people to. But as soon as the trailer is available, it will be on the site and I will discuss it further. We'll see what happens, man. Um, The studio's just... I don't know why they pulled these trailers, because, hello, it generated a buzz. As soon as I put that trailer on the site, everybody who I knew was talking about it on Facebook. Um, Those of you that didn't get it from my site and obtained it elsewhere were also discussing it. The, The fact is, it was generating a buzz for a movie. Why does the studio insist on pulling trailers on movies that definitely need that sort of a buzz? I think it's bullshit, but... It is what it is. I've got to give respect to the studio where it's due. And not for nothing, if I would have put it up, they probably would have sent me a cease and desist as well. A few weeks back, I was talking about them remaking Fright Night. And slowly, it seems that the cast is coming together. Um, right now, Tony Collette from the United States of Tara um, is going to be joining the cast, and Anton Yelchin will be playing the uh, protagonist. Uh, Craig Gillespie is going to be directing the film. Now, uh, an interesting casting choice is in the original 1985 Fright Night, um, Chris Sarandon played Jerry Dandridge, who was the, um, the vampire who lived next door, of course, to the character of Charlie. Uh, the, Jerry Dandridge in the new one is going to be played by, of all people, Colin Farrell. So Colin Farrell will be playing Jerry the Vampire in the Fright Night remake. In addition to that, you know, the, Fright Night is such a great movie. If you've never seen it, um, definitely recommend you check it out on Netflix. It's definitely a very campy horror movie, but it was cool in execution. It, it had its moments of comedy. It had a little bit of terror. Not only that, but it had Marcy Darcy from Married with Children actually looking like a chick. So definitely worth checking out for that. And overall, you had the, the, the great Chris Sarandon, who did a great uh, a great interpretation of playing a really scummy yet smooth vampire in in Jerry Dandridge. I don't think Colin Farrell's the guy to pull that off. I don't think he's good at doing smooth and suave. He's more of a of a brogue, more of a rough dude. So, I think Colin Farrell definitely is not going to be the fit, but I could be wrong. He's uh, Colin Farrell's been stepping up his acting lately, so he might do a good job at it, man, but Chris Sarandon played him so smarmy and so smooth and such a, such a douchebag that I don't know if Colin Farrell has that vibe. I mean, he does have a douchebag vibe, but not the type of douchebag vibe that you would equate with being suave as well. Also this week, um, there was the general release of the Super 8 trailer, the newest J.J. Abrams uh, fuckfest, that I also discussed on MyTakeRadio.com when I put the trailer up. Um, J.J. Abrams trailers, if you haven't read the article, pretty much go like this. Crazy camera angles. Check. Uh, massive explosions. Check. Weird monster popping out and not being seen. Check. Ominous warning. Check. Now, of course, as soon as everybody saw it, they were like, oh, man, it's going to be Cloverfield 2. It's not going to be Cloverfield 2. It's supposed to be some new creature feature, alien type of shit that's coming out. Look, J.J. Abrams... Good director, he does decent movies. Look, Cloverfield, I don't hate it to the point of thinking that it's an utter bag of shit, but I don't think it was that great either, because there was a lot of of plot that just really didn't need to be covered. And the monster, when it finally got shown, looked like something you'd see in health class, when they're they're trying to show you an STD. It, it, It was cool, but not cool to the point where it was memorable. Like, I talk to people about Cloverfield, and they're like, yeah, it was, it, was, it was all right, you know. It's nothing to write home about. It's, you know, oh, giant monster attacking Manhattan. It happens all the time. It is what it is. There were some moments that, and I'll actually uh, borrow from Cass. Cass, who is in the chat, actually felt that Cloverfield was hilarious. And I do have to admit, I hated the characters, much like she's, she's stating that she did. The characters were definitely forgettable. The stupid guy, I'm going to go get my girlfriend as his friends get killed throughout the movie. Look, and, and, and consider it crass, consider it rude, I don't give a shit, but is, was the pussy that good? Was it that good for you to really risk killing all your friends to save this girl? Because damn, it, it must have been magical. It must have had unicorns and rainbows and leprechauns jumping out of it for you to go and kill yourself and your friends to get this chick. Look, don't get me wrong. That was the plot. It is what it is. But it it was absurd. It was really absurd the way that it went down. That this guy basically went through Manhattan while he was being overrun by a giant monster to save some chick. I personally felt that that particular aspect of the story was stupid. It could have came out better you know, them all being trapped and trying to escape, and you could have just made the movie center around that. But the fact that the kid was, you know, leading his friends into death to save some girl was utter bullshit, so definitely not a fan of that, and I really hope J.J. Abrams doesn't use that similar type of ludicrous plot for this new Super 8 movie. Again, the movie trailer definitely piqued my interest, got my attention, but again... After after what happened with Cloverfield, I'm I'm really, really, really hesitant about giving any sort of endorsement for this film. So, we'll see how it plays out in the next few weeks for sure. Um, In some Avatar news, because it wouldn't be a movie segment without talking about Avatar, uh, Reuters Reuters reported that the film sold a combined 19.7 million units between Blu-ray and DVD. That means that 6.2 million were sold on Blu-ray alone in the first three weeks since launch. That means that in, in, in four, four days ago, in the first four days when I, did, uh, when I discussed this previously, it had sold 2.7 million copies. Since then, it was a huge jump to 6.2 million. And that's not even counting the fact that when the 3D Blu-ray special edition doesn't, does or doesn't come out earlier later this year the fact is that this number is going to continue to grow. It's ridiculous. They're going to make a lot of money. And um, the fact is, James Cameron, and I discussed this with Josh yesterday, James Cameron is going to just sit there collecting all the money possible. Because it's, it's ridiculous. He made a billion-dollar movie, and now 6.2 million Blu-rays have been sold, and 19.7 combined. It's, it's really great numbers, and it's just a testament that Even though the film isn't 3D and doesn't have um, all the cool shit and all the extra stuff, people are buying it. Hell, I bought it. And it is a really great-looking Blu-ray with great sound. And like I said, cookie-cutter plot, but a great Blu-ray especially to show off a home theater. And uh, Slick is on the line. He wants to discuss the Super 8 trailer. I'm going to bring him on and see what he has to say. Slick, what do you got?
2: Yeah... I watched the Super 8 trailer for the first time today. And, like you said, it it didn't look like it had anything to do with Cloverfield. And I actually saw Cloverfield with Cassie, and we we wanted all those guys to die because they were just idiots. And if they have a cast like that again, I will not pay to see this movie. But it's like, how many times are you going to do, like, some super monster ravaging random, well, I mean, it wasn't random, it was New York City, but this is going to be in the middle of whatever town, so the train was supposed to be coming from Area 51 going to, I guess, Ohio or some shit. Go figure with that. So, who knows where the movie's supposed to take place. From the whole banging on the, the train car, either it's one monster with a shitload of arms or, like, a couple of monsters Clearly, it couldn't be Cloverfield, too, because the train car's not big enough to hold that thing. And who the fuck knows where he's going with it? Well,
1: you know, you've got to look at it like this. Super A, and, and like I said, J.J. Abrams, I can't shit on him too much. Look, he did Cloverfield. It was mixed. But then he came out and gave us Star Trek, which was badass. I can't hate the dude totally and, and say he's a hack. But you know, when you do these giant monster movies or these creatures invading, it's. The plot is. You can't go too crazy with the plot. Because the plot is either you have to survive or you have to escape. And either the monster gets killed or the monster gets put down in some shape, way, or form where after the credits, the monster's still alive. That's just the way shit is. It happens with Cloverfield, it's happened with Godzilla. Um, If you ever get a chance, and I recommend the listeners check it out as well, check out a movie called Feast. It was um, a low-budget horror movie, but the concept was original, and the way it was done was a lot different because the people were trapped in one place and the monsters were kind of converging on them. There was no origin for the monsters. They didn't tell where they came from, nothing. It was just a whole bunch of people. This lady comes in. Hey, I'm being chased by these monsters. And madness and hilarity ensued.
2: Uh, definitely will check that out, but what do you call it? Star Trek. Like I wouldn't call Abrams a hack, but he's definitely he's a mixed bag. Star Trek. I wouldn't give him a lot of credit for because while he put his own twist on it,
1: he, he was working on J. existing J. material.
2: Exactly. Right, but I agree. The Thing is, JJ Abrams is also responsible for Fringe, which is an excellent show. So, again, go figure. So we'll see when it, when we get some more information, which basically what J.J. Abrams means, we'll see when it comes out.
1: Yeah, well, I I didn't um, want to tell you, but you may want to look into the future of Fringe. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. All right. Well, there's a last uh, few bit of things to discuss, and... Um, and that'll pretty much be the end of the show, so let me just bang this out real quick.
2: All right, man. To
1: you. All right. Thanks for the call. Later. All right. Of course, when we get towards the end of the movie segment, I'd like to save the, the what-the-fuck segments for sure. Uh, first off, Deadline, which has been great this week for news, is reporting that DreamWorks has acquired the rights to the board game Monsterpocalypse. DreamWorks wants Tim Burton to direct the film. Which he is considering. Tim Burton's it, Tim Burton's actually at the Cannes Film Festival, and he's working on a movie called Frankenweenie, and, and of course the remake, the live well, the reimagining of Dark Shadows with Johnny Depp. Nonetheless, they want him to do this project called Monster Apocalypse, which is based on a board game that's played on a series of maps, and it revolves around two competing groups of monsters, the Alpha and the Hyper. Battling, it, battling to the death in a variety of cityscapes. So, based on this, correct me if I'm wrong, we're, we've, we've raped comic movies. We've raped old TV show remakes. We've raped gross dramatic comedies. This is Hollywood I'm referring to when I say we've raped. Now, we're going to start raping board games. You know, we talked about Monopoly before. We talked about the Battleship movie. We talked about that. You know, we talked about the fucking Magic 8-Ball movie. Look, this is what's going to happen now. When Hollywood has finally hit bottom, which is going to happen soon, you're going to get a candy, ma- you're gonna get a Candyland movie. You're going to get an Operation movie. You're going to get a Tiddlywinks movie. You're going to get a fucking uh, Chinese checker movie, and it's going to be in 3D, and the balls are going to come out, and you're going to be able to touch them and shit. Look. Original ideas, please, please, Hollywood, I'm begging you. There's, there's original shit out there. I have so many stories in my head that I'm more than sure some of them would make original movies, but the fact of the matter is, board games. Board games. It's like, you want to do board game movies? Monster Apocalypse? I don't even know what that is. That's like, that's like making a, a movie version of Hood Hoodopoly. Which, of course, is just a ghetto version of Monopoly. But still, again, a a, a cultural reference that is minuscule. That's a blip. That's like me making an adult film about Mr. Bucket. You know, it's like, I'm doing a Mr. Mr. Bucket movie because the balls come out of his mouth. It's like, this is what happens. Hollywood just hits bottom. You know what the worst part is? That... And this was ridiculous. I read, a, I read something, and I didn't want to really go into it during the show, but it seems that the adult film industry has decided to create its own division of superhero movie parodies, um, one of which is going to be Batman Triple X, which is at, not based on the new Batman, but actually on the 1966 Batman. And the reason I reference this is because the, the lack of ideas has even boiled into the adult film industry when people can't even make original original concepts. It's like, there's always been parodies, you know, um, you know, Saving Ryan's Privates, um, you know, crap like that. And it's happening with Hollywood. Hollywood is really becoming a mainstream version of the porn industry. It's becoming a a, a, a joke on itself. It really is. It's like... Who decided, and I really would like to walk into a studio and walk up to their, to their executives and go, which one of you asshats decided to approve the Magic 8-Ball movie? And when, he, and when the guy raises his hand and says, me, I want to kick him right in the nuts. And then I want to say, hey, uh, which one of you guys said that it's okay to make a Monopoly movie with Ridley Scott? Oh, that was my idea. I think it's going to be fantastic. I want to go and kick him in the nuts, too. Because the fact of the matter is that these directors, they sit there and they come up with their ideas, and they're like, hey, man, let me present it to the studio. The studio goes, hey, this will make us a lot of money. No, they won't. You guys are idiots. It's like books. We, um, and I was discussing this with Josh. Um, for those of you that don't know, Josh is an author. Um, he uh, has his first book out. Um, which is a shameless plug. It's for Brandon Sparks and the Hidden Sun. And the fact is that in writing his second book and doing research, he was looking at other young adult books that are out there. And he looked at a book that, I'm not going to give the title offhand, but he was looking at a book that basically is the plot for The Running Man. It, it's, the, it, it's a book that's pretty much almost exactly like The Running Man movie with, with, with kids in it. And the reason I reference this is because I understand that you get inspiration from somewhere. It happens all the time. When you watch the Power Rangers, you think Voltron. That's how it is. And, and, and And that's one of the things I wanted to reference, you know. You're entitled to get inspiration from other things, and that's fine to put out something original and unique. But when you're digging into... The $5 board game section to put out a, a multimillion-dollar movie that, that people are actually going to be tied to, it's really disturbing. And the fact is that I'm just appalled at where it's going. But before I could take my next two callers, I, I want to give out a little, a little bit more of an awful nugget for you guys to enjoy. Um, according to the Heat Vision blog, it seems that Sony Films has picked up the rights for, are you guys ready for this, Roller Coaster Tycoon. It's going to be live-action, live-action CGI hybrid, and basically, for those of you that don't know, Roller Coaster Tycoon came out in 1999, and it's a computer game that simulates theme park management. That's what you got. So besides digging into board games, you're going to dig into obscure computer games as well with Roller Coaster Tycoon, the movie. And uh, with that being said, let's bring in some callers, because I know you guys are definitely going to have a lot to say. Let's bring in Dark Helmet. What do you got?
3: I'm surrounded by assholes, Hollywood assholes, I must say now. The Roller Coaster Tycoon thing just threw me over. I heard it was a rumor, but damn. But that's not what I was calling in for.
1: What do you got, my friend?
3: Since you're talking about all the board games, and I I knew that your show was on tonight, I thought, or today, you know what else kind of garbage they would end up putting out some way, somehow? They'd find a way. Put out Yahtzee. I bet they'd find a way.
1: They would! They would find a way to do Yahtzee. I mean, I
3: know I even saw something on YouTube, but... No, no, they would do some stupid, like... There's a love interest, it's for this. Oh, Grand World Championship, Yahtzee. the dice will own your soul, or some
1: shit like that. That's pretty funny, but but here's a funny thing. You know how I said it would be funny if they did a movie about Operation? You know what? I would do an Operation movie and make it like Saw. Nice. You know, like, like that's what I'm saying. Like, I understand getting inspiration, and and I understand bringing unique concepts, but when, like, Yahtzee, you, you see how you just came up with that idea for a Yahtzee movie off the top of your head? The worst part is, this is what some guy sitting in his basement that, that can't see his toes is probably considering right now, and he's going to go and write a, uh, write a little excerpt on a piece of greasy paper and run to a Hollywood studio and go, this is my idea for a movie. It's about Yahtzee. And some asshole is going to go, yeah, let's do it. It'll work. That, that's really it. That's really how it boils down to It's It's some person in their basement saying, this is, this is a fantastic idea. Let's do a game about Yahtzee. And people will be like, well, what's the concept about it? Well, basically, it's just going to be that there's going to be Jesus and he's going to sit in the sky and basically he's going to dictate how your life plays out on a daily basis by playing Yahtzee with your life.
3: But that would actually be funny as shit. That would but that's be what I'm saying.
1: But that's not the kind of thought that, the, the thought process that's involved. And then, you know, they get these really great filmmakers that actually are sold on making these movies, like Ridley Scott which I discussed with his whole thing about Monopoly and how he wants to make it about greed and blah. It's, look, man. It's a little old white guy in a top hat that tells you to buy stuff, and you, you get little cards, and you, get, and you go to jail. How much plot are you really getting out of that? Unless the old white guy is like a pedophile, yeah. or, or, something, or something crazy. There's nothing of substance in, in a Monopoly movie. There's nothing of substance in a Magic 8-Ball movie. And... How much, and and I figured I'd ask you because you work in an amusement park. I'm not going to divulge which one, but you work in an amusement park. Let's leave it at that. Roller coaster tycoon, obviously it's theme park management. How exciting is that in real life? It's
3: only exciting when. Something happens to a ride that's slightly out of the norm. And I'm not talking, oh, it's down for technical difficulties, run-of-the-mill, it'll be back in five minutes. It's someone somehow jumped out of the ride in some weird spot or some massive technical failure that the ride has to be shut down for, like, a week or someone gets killed. If something crazy like that happens, yeah, there's a lot of shit going down. But if nobody gets hurt, then they're just doing their thing making sure everything's running smooth, that the rides are going the way they're supposed to. There's not a lot of excitement.
1: Well, that's really? why I figured I'd ask. I'm glad, I'm glad you called for that. And you know what? It, it's funny you said that because they're doing a movie, and I believe the trailer's out already. If it's not out, I have to find it. And it's pretty much about a bunch of people that go skiing, and the premise of the movie is that they get trapped on a ski lift, and the park is closed for the winter. That is the premise for a movie. Wow. That's it. That's why I had to ask, especially given that you work in a theme park, how exciting is Roller Coaster Tycoon going to be? Because I'm jumping out of my skin to see it. It's fantastic.
3: No, no. Screw that. you would have more fun in Roller Coaster Tycoon saying the old school powered launch coaster, getting people on it, pausing it, cranking the speed up to obscene, scene, firing the train off, watching it fly off the track and explode into bits.
1: Now, that would yep. be exciting. Yeah, well, it's not going to happen, my friend. But I figured it, it was good that it was a great segue to discuss Roller Coaster Tycoon, and you called in, so it, it worked yeah. out well. Thanks for the call, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks, dude. Later. Aha! Uh-huh. It appeared that Waffles is calling in. Waffles.
4: What's up, man? Of course, you need to
1: call in, too. Um. Before, you call, before you call in, Waffles, uh, um, in honor of Bob not being here to taunt you, I think <laughs> you, de- you deserve this from now on when you call. Here I
3: come! Buona. What's the problem?
1: Don't underestimate me. I'm awesome! Woohoo! Piece of cake! <laughs> that's oh, what you, that's you Waffles, nice. Waffles, you are awesome. So, with that being said, what do you have to share this evening?
4: Uh, well, first off, what the fuck with that rollercoaster tech? <laughs> like, seriously, Hollywood is really running out of ideas, and I gotta go back to what I said last week where you mentioned something how operations should be more like Saw. Remember how I, I told yep. you last week, last week that if they're gonna bring back stuff like classics, like cartoon shows and everything, at least make them more adult-orientated, like Yep, you, you said it, that about, it. um,
1: you said that with, uh, American McGee's and
4: Alice. Yeah, so they should do the same thing too, like how you said, Operation should be more like horror, make it like Saw. Like, you, you could do that and it will be better. I would be willing to watch something like that. But knowing Hollywood, I get the, if they do make an Operation movie, they're going to make it more drama, and they're going to make, like, some dumb fuckhead, probably eat some stupid shit so he's in the hospital and they have to do an operation and whatnot. People don't have money so they don't know if he's going to survive. That's what I can imagine Hollywood would do to fuck up if you,
1: If you want to watch an operation movie, just watch Grey's Anatomy or ER. That, that's operation. It's like, you know, oh my God, he's dying. And hand me this scalpel as I look pensively at the camera. Or, oh my God, get me the anesthetic. He's going into shock as they stare at the camera, and then to simulate the red nose, he'll have, like, an oxygen mask that has this special technology that glows red when he's dying. Like, that's the kind of... Like, that's the bullshit that Hollywood will come up with to justify the movie. Like, this man... Give this man a set of testicles because he needs them. He is dying. It's like, that's... That's where... That's what Hollywood has come down to. It's really... It really is, like I said, there's a big board, and... They have little names and things, and they just throw them at the board to see if they stick. Like, they're going to go, board game movie, and they'll throw it on the board. And they're like, all right. And somebody digs in a box and throws it on there, and they'll go, hungry, hungry hippos.
3: Oh, God. And then another guy (laughs) reaches
1: in. He goes, all right, who are we putting in this? Throws a name at the screen, Channing Tatum and Matthew Perry and Julia Roberts, (laughs) you know? And it'll, be, and it'll be great, and it'll be awesome, according to Hollywood. And they're like, Sweet. hey, we'll make, it, we'll make it like Jumanji, and everybody <laughs> will watch it. You know, that's the kind of shit they do, man. It's, you're right, you need more adult content, but on the same token, you just need more original shit. You know, I, do the, I try to shy away from these rants every week, because it really does get repetitive, but Hollywood just gives me so much material.
4: Actually, you just said something right now that basically Hollywood's doing what South Park mentioned Um, did you ever watch that South Park Family
1: Guy episode? yes, yes I did actually, that was one of the few episodes I did see
4: alright, remember what they were basically doing for Family Guy where they had stupid dolphins picking up different pots, just little balls and they made a show out of that, that's what fucking Hollywood's doing, exactly like that
1: that's exactly it, it's really unfortunate that that's what it comes down to and, um, I think Slick corrected you and said it was Manatees. Yeah, Manatees,
4: my bad, my it was,
1: bad. <laughs> it was Manatees, huh? <laughs> Man. And then, see, see you fuck, you're fucked up. You had a great joke, and it just bombed. I, I got, you got to get hit with this now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you get.
4: No, another thing I want to mention, like, I don't know how Hollywood can be so stupid, like, they have so many storylines and plotlines to choose from with books. I don't know why they're going with board games. Okay, next thing you know, you're going to see like a solitaire game. You're going to see Minesweeper and shit. Like Go with books. Books, you already have a story. You could just pick out maybe like a good cast that would match that story. Don't go for something that you have to make up your own plot. If you're having so much trouble picking a movie, books. Tons of them. Yeah, but...
1: Perfect. But here's what, happen, here's what happens with books, which, which is funny, you should mention. Here's what happens with Hollywood and books. They take a book, they make a movie out of it, the movie's successful, then they want to make a movie out of every book imaginable to the point where it just makes people sick. See, the good thing is with movies like Harry Potter, they wait a, a year or two between, they keep the same cast, they follow the book to, pretty accurately, then you get movies like Twilight... Where they're based off of books, they become cultural phenomenon, and then the fans make you hate the movies. The fact is that, you know, there's nothing wrong with making movies based off of books. One of my favorite movies is Forrest Gump. I read the book. The book is 10,000 times better than the movie was, and the movie was pretty close to the book. It's just a matter of the right people using the right material and not raping it to the point where people hate it. And that's what happens. They they make these movies, and they just they just they just continuously stick their hands up the ass of the fans, and continue to mimic them and puppet them around, so that people will continue to watch these movies. That's what Hollywood is doing.
4: Uh, well, I would still go for that though. Like, come on, compare though to what they're doing right now. Which one would you prefer? come what where they're going to board games and whatnot, or go with like.
1: No, I would, I, would prefer, I would prefer books, or, or at least if you're going to dip into something of a board game, at least, be, you know, know how to do it right. Like, say you did a, 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 a movie on the game Life. The fact of the matter is that you'd, you, right off the top of my head, and people are going to laugh, I'd make the movie about life a romantic comedy. And basically, what would happen is that I would tell the plot line with the, with the board where basically the little pieces represent people. And it's like, oh, here, here's this couple. They stopped here. You know, this is where they're stuck. And you, 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 you cut away from the board, and it's a married couple, and they're fighting, and, you know, you add some comedy to it, and the wife is pregnant. And then, you know, it's like, let's check on this other couple. And, you know, roll the dice, and you move the pieces, and it chimes in. You know, you try and have fun with it. You, yeah, you reference it on a movie, but... You, I mean, you reference it on a board game, but you do it in a way that's engaging, unique, and different. And not, let's take a movie, let's take um. put it like this, let's try and squeeze gold out of shit. Like, like when, when, I, when I talked about the Magic 8-Ball movie, it's like, what, what possible scenario are you getting out of that? Other than you shake the ball and it gives you an answer. Well, you know, does it, does it grant you wishes? Like, there's not much you can do with that, and that's what disturbs me, and that's my major gripe. If you're going to do something, be unique, be original, so that people can say, hey, man, that Candyland movie was crazy because the gingerbread people were killing the sugar plum fairies, and there, were, there was a whole big war, but, but it was badass, you know? Like, just be unique with it and stop going the safe route where you want to make it original at the expense of making it shitty. That's all.
4: Yeah, one thing, I got to give this to Cass. He kept on mentioning it before, too. It's true. The only best board game movie that was Clue. They did a great That's right. job with it. And I loved how they did three endings. Rather than just make one, they gave everyone three endings because it's just like the game. Anything can happen in that game.
1: So, it's true. Okay. Well,
2: well, yeah. well, we'll, see what,
1: we'll see what happens, dude. But nonetheless, yeah. man, thanks for the call, Waffles. It's always appreciated.
4: No problem, man. No problem.
1: See ya. All right, dude. Later. Thanks. All right, folks. And last but not least, um, our buddy James Cameron did confirm that they are already working on the sequel for Avatar. Um, the plan is, based on a uh, uh, technology forum that he was at in Seoul, Korea, he confirmed the following, I'm going to be focusing on the ocean of, on the ocean of Pandora, which will be equally rich and diverse and crazy and imaginative but it just won't be a rainforest. I'm not saying we won't see what we've already seen. We'll see more of that as well. So basically, what he's saying is the first movie was about giant Smurfs. The next movie is going to be about Snorks. That's it. Avatar 1 was about Smurfs. Avatar 2 is going to be about Snorks. That's it. With that being said, folks, that's going to wrap up the movie news for this week, and it's going to wrap up the show. I just want to give out uh, my plugs and typical shout-outs to all the people that have... Helped My Take Radio along the way. RazorClothing.com, dot GiantSparrow.com, which is Max Geiger's uh, video game project that he's working on from Deadliest Warrior. DrinkDoxDox.com, which is Dr. Armand Dorian's vitamin water. Definitely you should check that out. Uh, shout out to GirlGamer.com, who supports My Take Radio via Twitter and tries and generates more of a presence out there. We appreciate it. MMAGospel.com of course, for their great support of the show and appearing on the fight panel that we had previously. MMABallor.com. Rachel from MMAHotStuff.com, not only for the great uh, soundbite that she provided, but also for being a great guest. Her other project is MMASocialites.com. You can check that out. For those of you that want to keep up with the Darksiders crew, you can head over to Darksiders.com or you can go to Hayden.WordPress.com. That's Hayden Dalton's website. It's H-A-Y-D-N Dalton D-A-L-T-O-N dot Brooks Macbeth, one of our earlier guests, great stand-up comedian. You can check him out on myspace.com slash Brooks Macbeth or Myspace.com slash Brooks the Comedian. Of course, VGNradio.com, always a great supporter of the show. Uh, Tumbling with Tumbleweed with Don Anderson, who was who was in the chat earlier. Actually, he's still in there. It looks like he's sleeping, though. You can check out his show. Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and, of course, Cleveland Sports Radio, Born Stubborn for their kick-ass commercials and their support for the My Take Radio website, 411mania.com, ocremix.org for the kick-ass music, and filmdrunk.com for their great movie news. With that being said, you've just listened to My Take Radio episode 42 for Thursday, May 13, 2010. Um, if you want to email me any questions, concerns, or things of that nature, you can hit me up on mtrhost at gmail.com. If you use Twitter, MyTakeRadio is on Twitter. It's Twitter.com slash MyTakeRadio. Or if you want to follow my personal account just for some of my random musings and rants, it's Twitter.com slash Akuma25, A-K-U-M-A, the number 25. Of course, MyTakeRadio is on MySpace. If people still use it, you can go to MySpace.com slash my take radio and of course if you're on facebook show your support stop by the my take radio facebook fan page and that pretty much sums it up we're going to close out the show with uh, another track from epic nes um you can check them out on myspace.com slash epic nes and show your support we're going to close it out with epic nes's rendition of the metal gear theme with that being said take us out boys thanks for listening catch you guys next week peace i